Good morning. As Nigel just said, for the last few actually weeks, months, we've been doing this series of authority and calling. And uh, again, I get the privilege of um, finishing, finishing off the series, discovering your calling. And Chris shared a little bit last week, and I'm going to just build on it this week. Now, I don't know about you, but when you were young, did you ever think about what you were going to become when you grew up? I don't know if in most houses you had like dressing up stuff, you know. I don't know if you wanted to be a, I think that's a fireman. That looked good. I'm just crushing my glasses. Um, or cowboy, I don't know, or Indiana Jones. Does that look good? Um, I'm not going to put this on anyway. <laughs> no, because I can see cameras already. <laughs> Actually, because... <laughs> Yeah, somebody actually can give out, help me out with just giving out some notes would be um, great. Um, just like most of the series, you just got some notes to go out. So I don't know if you knew what you were going to grow up. I kind of knew what I wanted to be. Um, I can't remember it, but my, my family tell me that from the age of about seven or eight, I used to get all my teddy bears and sit them on my bed and preach to them. I mean, they were good. They always responded when I spoke. And then... Um, my brother and sister occasionally remind me that once I kind of grew up out of the teddy bear, teddy bear stage, I used to get them to sit down and I would just preach to them. And um, God, God bless them, because I used to speak for a long time, <laughs> um, for about an hour. But um, all of us have a calling upon our life. And um, before kind of going into particularly the life of Moses and just unpacking maybe some principles that we can apply to our life as we seek God about a calling, I really want to just to stress a few points right to the beginning. And if you remember nothing else from what I share today, my prayer is that you'll remember this. Firstly, that our greatest and ongoing calling is to live our lives with Jesus. That's what it's about. You know, we're going to talk about stuff, we're talking about dreams, things that God's laid upon our heart. Um, but the most important thing is that we are called. It says in Matthew four nineteen, Jesus said, come follow me. We had that invitation to come and follow Jesus. Not to come and follow a set of rules and regulations, what I would call religion. Even the religion of Christianity. The invitation is to follow a person. He's called Jesus. The invitation is to a relationship, which is Jesus. The invitation is a journey, an adventure that will last a lifetime. Jesus said, come, follow me. And that's an invitation that we all have And this morning. As I was preparing this morning, I particularly felt that maybe there's a few people here who have kind of got what I'd call Christianity. They know the rules, they know the regulations, they know the Bible. They might have been coming, you might have been coming to church for years and years. But this idea of an invitation to follow a person might be new to you. And Jesus is inviting us, just like Claire was sharing earlier about the treasure hunting. And this girl that we were with, she just kind of felt the, the, the presence of God upon her life. She wasn't totally sure what it was. And we just said, that's Jesus. Would you like to know Jesus? Would you like to follow him? Nothing more complex than that. And that invitation is there. Our greatest and ongoing calling is to follow him. And we need to not lose sight of that. It's a quote by a famous 
Scottish minister uh, a number of years ago, and he said, no amount of activity for the king, that's Jesus, will make up for neglect of the king. It's so easy just to get caught up in activity. Even things that we might think of as being more kind of godly or honoring, you know, even things like volunteering to look after the children. And, um, but we not, need to not lose sight. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It should be like a compass point in our life. You know, if you have a compass, it automatically points magnetic north. Our heart and our passion should be for Jesus. It's also important, as I put next, is because our calling, whatever that may be, needs to be rooted in our identity and our authority, who we are in Jesus. This is why we've had this series and we had six talks in particular about identity and authority before we started talking about calling. Because our calling needs to be rooted in our identity and authority and not the other way around. Because when it's rooted, when it's the other way around, that's when we can get problems. Because whatever your calling is, whatever it may be that you're doing, if for some reason that kind of disappears or stops and our identity and our worth is caught up in that, then we crumble. I'm not that old, but in my, in my, my, my little life I had so far, I've done a number of things that one would call calling and they've gone. You know, at one time I was a, a lecturer, a lecturer at one in Red, Redbrook University and God said, move on from that. Uh, at one time I was a, a pastor and God said, move on from that. Many of you know to about a year and a half ago would be what people would call, it's not a phrase I particularly like those who know me, but uh, kind of overseas missionary. And that moved on. And if my identity and calling is, if my identity and worth and self-being is in what I'm doing, in my calling, then we possibly can have problems. We need to be rooted in all the stuff that we talked about the last few months. That we are sons and daughters of Christ if we've chosen to follow him. This is where our sense of worth comes from. This is who we're all about. And whatever calling it may be should come out of that place. I gave you a quote in your, in your notes from the lady called Heidi Baker, um, who is a, a lady that goes around planting churches all across um, Mozambique, as, very, as well as various other things. And she said, understanding that you are a son or daughter of God and knowing how lavishly the Father loves you, is what makes you free to enter your destiny, or what we were calling this morning, your calling. Only this can give you confidence enough to say yes to the fullness of the call God will put on your heart. If you catch even a glimpse of how warmly God smiles upon you, you will want to give him everything for the rest of your life. And so even before talking about the life of Moses and what we can learn from the life of Moses, May it be our desire and the passion of our heart to make Christ again the center. And that whatever we do will come out of that place of being rooted in that place of intimacy and love with him. Moses, I could have chosen many. I mean, if you look through the Bible, I'd really encourage you to kind of go away um, as we kind of move on from this series, but to kind of keep going back to the Bible. And there's so many stories you can read in the Bible. All throughout the Bible, uh, God is at work calling people because he's always been calling people. 
It's part of his business. It's creating people and calling them into a destiny or what he wants to do in and through their lives. And uh, I decided to look at the story of Moses. I'm just going to read a little bit from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 6, and verses 10 to 12. It's quite a well-known passage. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro's father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, and going into verse 10, Now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this holy mountain. In some ways, I could take ages speaking about this, but just going to give you a kind of backdrop, a context of this. The Israelites have been oppressed for a number of years, they've been crying out to God, saying, God, help us. God had heard their call, answered them, their cry for salvation in the form of Moses. Moses had been brought up in a royal court. And if you're looking back, particularly chapters um, 2, he tried to save the Israelites in his own way. He had failed miserably and was forced to flee for his life to the middle of nowhere, the desert around Mount Sinai. He had gone from being a royal member of a member of the royal family of the greatest empire of that time to being a shepherd. So that's kind of the, the context. Well, what can we learn from it? I think first, as you've seen in your notes, I'm going to pretty much work through them as much as I can. Like Moses, we have been called even before we were born. I give you a, a passage there from Jeremiah, which is Jeremiah's calling. Before I shaped you in the womb, I knew all about you. Before you saw the light of day, I had holy plans for you. For Jeremiah, it was this, a prophet to the nations. That's what I had in mind for you. And I believe God's, well, I know, I don't believe, I know God is saying, before you were born, he had and he has a calling for your life. He has a calling for my life. He has a calling for your life. I felt particularly when I was um, preparing this talk uh, a couple of weeks ago, that particularly for some people, I felt God was saying, you weren't an accident. You weren't a kind of a surprise, not to him. He knew about you even before you were going to be born. He knows everything about your past. However messy 
complicated your birth was. God has a plan for your life. Each one of us here was planned by God. Each one of us here, God has a plan of significance for our life. And that applies to all of us. But like I say, I really believe that some, some people here, God really wants to speak that truth into the very core of your heart and to bring freedom. And let that truth transform you. Secondly, God has been preparing you for years and nothing that's happened in your life was by chance or God will allow to be wasted. I mean, that's a powerful statement in itself. You could just, you could take uh, quite a few minutes just to kind of dwell upon that. In some ways, I'm having to rush through stuff this morning. God has been preparing you for years and nothing that's happened in your life was by chance but God will allow to be wasted. That is liberating truth in itself. Sometimes we're not aware of it. A useful way, uh, some of you know, I, I said I used to be a university lecturer and I, I still occasionally do bits where I, I do teaching on kind of training and way people learn and um, development of people. Uh, and a very kind of common tool is you do something called a timeline. And a timeline is just a useful way of becoming aware of the journey, in our case, that God has been taking us on. It kind of gives you hints of the direction that God is taking you on or might be taking you on. I mean, we don't have time to do it, but uh, I wrote down some instructions there. But really what you do is you start off and put like the day you were born and the day that is today, the 22nd of March, 2015. They generally say get a piece of A4 paper. If you're a bit older, get a A3 paper, turn it sideways. And just start jotting down some of the major events. Often you just start down with the major events that have been happening in your life, marriage, children, whatever it may be. And then just start jotting down some of the other things that have been happening in your life. Sometimes they're positive, sometimes they're negative. Like I said, God does not waste anything. If you were here last week and... Um, you heard Chris speak. He spoke about something called shape. So I can remember what it is. Kind of your skills, your heart, your attitude, your personality, your experiences. I think I got it right there. Um, listen to Chris's talk last week if you missed it. But it's just really what has God been doing in your life? What has skills, what things has he put into your life? And where does that give a sense of direction on where he's taking you? Because there's a reason for stuff. It's easier to see it in relation to the positive stuff. You can see certain themes. I know one of the things in my heart is just, um, you know, church planting would be a positive theme. You know, I remember when I was a, a teenager, I decided to set up a church, Philadelphia Church it was called, because that was a big denomination in Colombia where I was born. And um, it really just involved me inviting all my mates home and just sitting them down and preaching to them for an hour. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it, but hey, they all got saved. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they just wanted me to shut up. And, um, and I, I've seen that theme carry out. And it helps me even now when I make a decision. I have, we have a, I mean, a couple of weeks' time. I'm, I'm traveling abroad. It's a rubbish time for Kate and myself. We're just about to move house this week. But I know it's, I'm, I'm going to meet 20 to 40 Muslims that follow Jesus who are seeking to plant communities across the Horn of Africa. And one of the things that helped me make a decision 
is as I look at my life, I think this is a calling that God has upon my life. And this is a useful thing that God is leading me into at this point in time. But sometimes it can be hard things. You know, as I look over at my little life, and I'm just sharing for my life because it's my life I know, uh, and some of the stuff I'm doing now. So Kate and I worked in Lebanon. We got expelled from there. I wouldn't recommend that. Um, most of you know me here in this church. I first connected with Winchester Vineyard because five, six years ago, I burnt myself out. Not again a recommendation I would, you know, recommend that. And I could go for different experiences of being abroad when we had a team and the joys and pains of having the team and also where we were just by ourselves. And all that is useful in my relation to my work at the moment as I train people I was seeking to work in Muslim countries. You know, when people get expelled, I can say, I, I, I can just be there. I can feel some of the pain, some of the, the frustration when somebody they're working with gets killed. I haven't had any so much recently, but I've been with people that have been killed just for obeying what God's called upon their life. And so the same for you, wherever it is, whatever has happened in your life, God, as it says in Romans, works all things together for the good of those who love him. And so I encourage you just to work through that and say, God, what are you saying to me? Where are you leading me? Take time to grow in there. I don't have a time to, to go through it, but I gave a quote by a lady called Kate Coleman, the first um, woman Baptist minister in the UK. And um, she just talks about, if you want to really know what God's called us to do, you need to take time just to self-explore and hear what God's calling, what God's vision is for your life. Not what necessarily is somebody else's vision and calling for your life. But what is God calling you to do? Thirdly, swipping through, we need to learn from disappointments, frustrations, and disillusionment. It kind of links in a little bit to what I, I said before. You know, Moses is a classic example. He'd been brought up as a prince. He would have never imagined himself becoming a shepherd. You see, the, the top you could be in Egyptian society was the pharaoh. The worst thing you could be in Egyptian society was a shepherd. If you read the context of um, particularly Genesis, that was the worst thing. You might think, oh, a shepherd, that's quite nice, looking after sheep. That was the worst thing you could be. You went from top to bottom. And if you read any stories or biographies, I love reading biographies and autobiographies. My, my bookshelf is covered in them. And um, anybody that succeeded in their field wherever that may be, it might be science, it might be politics, it might be sport. Or even if you look through scripture and you look at maybe an autograph, a great place to look is Hebrews chapter 11, what we call the, the story of the men and women of faith. And you'll see that at every point in their lives, at some point, they faced disappointment, they were let down. And the crucial question, what were they going to do about it? How were they going to process and deal with it. Again, as my training uh, as leadership, often when you read books on leadership, they, uh, there's been lots of studies on the most successful people in sports, science, and so forth. And generally you find that three quarters of those people, doesn't matter which area you're looking at, came from broken homes, disturbed backgrounds, um, had a major ailment like they were blind or deaf. 
yet they did not let that stop them outworking what God's calling is for their life. And so if we uh, feel called and God is leading us, at some point we will we'll face disappointments, frustrations, disillusionment. The question is, is what are we going to do about it? Is it going to drive us to the one who ultimately has called us? Or will it drive us away? Will it cause us to press in more to God? And you'll see, uh, just, I like asking questions. Those who work with me know that I love to ask questions. <laughs> Since I turn up to meetings with questions. And uh, I've given lots of little boxes. I haven't got time to go through them. But generally it's kind of like, if this is true, what does that mean for my life? And so you've got a, a load of questions there about disappointments that you, maybe you're facing, you've faced. And what is God trying to say and do through that as you look forward? Fourthly, if we're going to hear God's calling and do what he's calling us into, we need to learn to turn aside. I read that passage. Many translations say the fire was burning there. In some ways, that wasn't unusual until God started speaking. And Moses turned aside. It was only, only after Moses turned aside that God spoke to him. A lot of commentators say that was a crucial aspect. That was a kind of crucial a- action, the verb. He had to turn aside, and it was only then that God spoke to them. From this, we learn a powerful principle in relation to hearing God's calling upon our life. God wanted to make sure that Moses had his full attention so that he would be able to hear what God wanted to say to him. In the same way, Maybe at this point in your life, you're thinking, God, what are you calling me to? What does it look like? And one of the encouragement challenges we can get from the life of Moses is to take time aside. Create that space to allow God to speak to us. For whatever is taking our attention at this point in time and hear what he's saying to us. Fifthly, in some ways coming back to what I said before, that we get our identity and authority from God. It's interesting seeing the life of Moses. Initially, he was just so confident. He couldn't understand when he first tried to rescue Israel why the rest of the Israelites didn't understand that. It really kind of frustrated him. And now he came to the point, you know, we read in verse 11, Moses says, you know, who am I? Moses, who had been so confident about who he was and what authority he had at the beginning of his life, was now not even sure who he was. Was he a ruler or a shepherd? Was he a Hebrew or an Egyptian? Discovering one's calling walks hand in hand with knowing who you are and what authority you have. When you have this, you have what we've been talking about in church. You become a trusted ruler. When you know your identity, you know your authority, then that will start naturally feeding forth into your calling. Sixthly, do not disqualify yourself. Start where you are with what you have. I didn't do that, but if you read later on into um, Exodus chapter 4, just building on that, why I encourage you just to go back and mull over it. I know I'm saying quite a lot this morning. And um, Moses starts to go, you know, he can't be me, God. You know, I'm not very good at speaking. You want me to kind of go and lead these people? And there's a lot of people. Some people say at one time maybe he took about a million people with him. 
But even if it was a lot smaller, you know, it was a, it was a major task. He's like, I, I've never been good at doing this. You know, call my brother. He, he's better at it. Aaron, he's, he's good at this kind of stuff. And it's very easy at every point when God calls you to do something. It's very easy to kind of start disqualifying yourself. Saying, it's not the right time. I don't have the right gifting. I don't have the right ability. Moses felt that his time for saving Israel was gone. Maybe 40 years before he was the right man for the job, but not now. But God's like, no, I have called you. Because I've called you, that is enough. And so it's easy to disqualify ourselves. I, one way I describe it is something I read many years ago, which I kind of applied here, is what I call destination disease. We fill in the gap. I will start to fulfill, start to do what God's called me to do in my life when, and we fill in the gap. To give you an example, you know, um, when I was at university, I was like, I will start doing what God calls me to do when I graduate. When I graduate and life just got even busier. Uh, one of the ones I have to keep facing again and again is I think I'll start really doing what God wants me to do when my children get to a certain age. Uh, one of the things that Katie and I have been challenging ourselves about is we've been trying to spend a year trying to find a house. They won't think, oh, once the house, once we've got that house and it's all kind of kitted out, then we can really begin to do what God wants us to do. Because no sink apps is going to fill that gap. I'm just sharing from my heart, but whatever it may be, it's easy just to fill in. You know, the, the time is not right. This is not right. It's when God says it's right, then it's right. And so we need to hear what's he saying about what he wants us to do and when he wants us to do it. So we don't start to disqualify us. If God is with you, then that's enough. It's interesting, if you look at all the callings in the Bible, there's only one thing that's the same for all of them. People from different backgrounds, according to different ministries, different areas. But there's only one thing they have all in common, which he says, I will be with you. I will be with you. And that's enough. It's not like you will be good enough when this happens or that happens, because I am with you. And again, I just gave you some questions just to throw out. Like I said, I like to ask questions, but just think about, is there any way that you're trying to disqualify yourself? And what God is calling you to do. Too young, too old, this circumstance, that circumstance, this skill, that skill. If God calls you, then that's enough. Lastly, just to finish off, this thing that when we were talking about as a, as a leadership team, we really felt we should include, that to follow God, there is a cost. And it's worth it. As a child, I used to get this um, pretty much every month, month somebody would preach in this. Luke um, verse, um, chapter 9, verse 23. Jesus said to all of them, and I uh, gave a different translation here. If people want, or anybody wants to follow me, they must give up the things they want, deny themselves, set aside their own interests. They must be willing to give up their lives, take up the cross daily. And follow me. And if we want to follow God, it's the greatest calling in the world. And like I said, if you never even once responded to that, I'd encourage you to do that today. Well, that calling is for each one of us day by day. And there is a cost to it. I'm particularly aware of it 
Um, nowadays, we have such an emphasis on, on comfort and um, on convenience. And that's great. And there's some, some immense benefits out there that so often we can allow these things to dictate where God might be taking us. I know so often when people have been giving me advice when I've been abroad, um, a lot of the advice has been, um, you know, God must be leading you to do this because it's safer for your children or it's less dangerous. The safest place to be is in the will of God. The safest place for my children to be is when Katie and I follow the will of God. I have various friends of mine who kind of work abroad and they often say to me, if you're not sure between two decisions, take the, take the one that involves more risks and seems harder. Um, because Jesus said, you know, take the narrow way, not the wide way. Um, and they're taking a little bit of liberty with the, the passage, but it's interesting because I often find people interpret it the other way. Where they're not sure about the decision, they feel this must be the way I should go because surely God wants us to take the road of convenience and ease. And sometimes it is, but sometimes it isn't. We are called to follow God. So to conclude this series, in some ways not just finishing this talk, but um, finishing this series, we have that invitation. Jesus says, come follow me. And that's where we start. If you know the, the rest of the story, it says, come follow me, saying this to his disciples, then I will make you. For them was fishers and men. For us again, it's also fishers and men, but it outworks itself differently. And we have that invitation. And each one of us, each day, has that calling. When I woke up this morning, I might not have been able to hear it. But Jesus was saying to me again, Paul, will you follow me? Whatever that will look like. And my challenge and encouragement to you today is, will we say yes? If you know the stories of the disciples, immediately, it says immediately they left what they were doing and they went and followed him. I mean, I could do a talk on that by itself, but, you know, they had to give up their livelihood, their social standing. They had to give up a whole load of things to follow Jesus. What is God calling us? What is God calling me? to do in relation to following him. So to end, I thought I'd give you two quotes. I like films, particularly um, autobiographies. And uh, I put one down there from William Wallace in the film Braveheart. I can't really do the voice. I can't really do accents. I should get Katie to do it. She's great on accents. You know, <laughs> I'm not. All my accents sound the same. And uh, every man dies. Can you picture this? I don't know how many of you have seen this film. Every man dies. Not every man really lives. Or every woman dies, not every woman really lives. It's like we've been given our life. What are we going to do with it? God's got a calling upon our life. Will we enter into it, whatever that may be? It's the most glorious, amazing life that we can have. Yeah, there will be costs. But the joy and the rewards are great. And the other quote, which I didn't put down, I was reminded this morning, I was praying about it. It's from my favorite film, Charts of Fire. I don't know if anybody else likes the film Chariots of Fire. I, I do lots of running. So my parents told me how to go to it. Uh, it's the first film I went to see. And um, if you know the film, it's a couple of runners. It's a true story. And they get taken in Cambridge and they go to, uh, uh, and they're just starting the first day at Cambridge University. And they're going to the hall or residence and where they have the dining room. 
And written on the wall, you see this in a lot of different places, but at that time it was fresh because they went to university just after the First World War. And they just newly inscribed upon the wall was just literally hundreds of people from that college who had died in the First World War. And the man in charge of the, that kind of college at Cambridge University said these words, and I feel like this is a, a word from God to challenge us. It said, examine yourselves. Discover where your true chance or greatness lies, as in your true greatness lies in doing what God's called you to do. Seize it. Let no power or persuasion deter you from the task. I'm going to read that again, but I feel that's a word from each one of us. Examine yourself. Discover where your true chance or greatness lies. Seize it. Let no power of persuasion deter you from the task that God has called you to. So, to conclude, we're going to um, can I have the band come up again? And uh, we're going to um, they're going to lead us in a song, a little variation on it. It's an old song. If you've been around a church, a while, it's called um, "I Have Decided to Follow Jesus." No turning back, no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. And my encouragement to you this morning, and I'm just going to maybe come and share a little bit more, is we have an opportunity this morning to say afresh. Maybe for the first time, maybe again for a fresh time. God, I want to follow you. I want to follow the calling that God, you have laid upon my life. And let this song be like a, a declaration. Let this song be part of a response to God to say, God, I choose to follow you. No turning back. No turning back. Should we stand together? I have decided to follow Jesus I have decided to follow Jesus I have decided to follow Jesus no turning back no turning back The world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back.